Well, we had a very uplifting week last Sunday and got all of us uh, interesting and a lot of studying we did, reading the notes that he provided with us and looking that up. So we're just anxious to have Dr. Bob finish it up for us and thrilled to have him. Before Bob starts, I have a few handouts for those that were not here last week. Thank you. It's good to be back. I hope you had a good week. This is going to be a little different this week, and I hope you're going to find it uh, very interesting and challenging. Now, if you have a handout, I hope you remember to bring your handout. I called it the Cliff Notes of End Time Prophecy. As you'll notice, the vast majority of it we're not going to get to. I want you to do that over a cup of coffee and uh, sit down with your Bible and maybe pick out like the Antichrist, the Tribulation period. I want to pick out the one, the, the topic for the week and go over it. Meanwhile, I'm trying to whet your appetite for the study of prophecy. And if you look on page one, last week we got down to... <laughs> 2D, I mean, good, this looks like some kind of a, I mean, really, <laughs> it's really that complicated. But we got down to uh, reasons for studying prophecy, one of them being we're promised a blessing for do, doing so uh, in Revelation 1-3, and that prophecy is the last great doctrine of the church to be worked out, and that current events of all things are one of the keys to working this out, unlike any of the other uh, doctrines of the church. Now, we got down to C, let's see, the, the, in view of their intense persecution, uh, yes, this is 4C, about two-thirds down the page. In view of their intense persecution, the very existence of the Jewish people is a miracle. Uh, they had wars in 1948, the day after they were, uh, became a nation, they were attacked by Arabs. They had something like a, a school bus, a tank, and an old beat-up helicopter or something, and they won. In 1967, the famous Six-Day War, they won in, well, six days. And then in 1973, in 56, there was another war. And then in 73, the Yom Kippur War, where their Arab neighbors attacked them on the, on the holy day, hoping to gain an advantage. And they almost did. Golda Meir called Richard Nixon at 3 a.m. in the morning and said, we need some help. And, and he airlifted some supplies. So just their very existence in that land. In fact, there's a story that Napoleon, who I think was an agnostic, I don't know what his beliefs were, but he found out one of his lieutenants was a devout Christian. So he said, what is your number one argument for the existence of God? And the lieutenant supposedly said, sir, the Jew, three words. In other words, just as we said, their, their very existence. Now, I believe that the Lord intervened in the formation of the United States. I think this is knowledge from above he, he gave our founders. And one of the two main reasons this country was formed was to stand by Israel, which it did and has done numerous times. The other one to serve as a base of evangelization of, uh, of the world. Um, so... Let's see, we're down to, alright, good. We're down to, let's move on to D. As another reason, the predicted desolation and subsequent flowering of the land of Israel. Now, maybe I should have mentioned last time too before we move on. Israel has come back. The Lord promised, and uh, I'm going to show you some more scriptures, to bring Israel back from their dispersion after 70 AD. And they're back, but they're back in unbelief. They're mainly secular. They're trying to achieve salvation by going with the uh, Mosaic law, which we know doesn't work because Christ has fulfilled the law. So they're in unbelief. 
But that's not going to last. Right at the end, when they're about to be annihilated by the Antichrist, God's going to do uh, heart transplants. Ezekiel 36:26 says that I will take out your heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Okay, and they will then seize their, uh, they will recognize their Messiah as their Savior, which they have not done up to now. Now, it's going to be awful. Zechariah 13, 8 says it's going to be a two-thirds uh, casualty rate. Two-thirds of them are going to die, but one-third is going to come through refined in the fire and then move into the millennial kingdom. So it's very important to understand, even though they're back in the land now, this is not the total, this is the first step, but it's not the total fulfillment of the prophecy. Now, D, the predicted desolation and subsequent flowering of the land of Israel. Uh, initially, the land of Canaan that God selected his people was flowing with milk and honey, right? You've heard about this was probably the finest land. It was almost like the uh, Garden of Eden, perhaps. But in Numbers 13.23, it describes a cluster of grapes so big that it took two men to carry it. They put a pole through it and carried it in this land. It's very important to God, if you read the Old Testament scriptures, that this land is very important to him, and it's very important that Israel be in it. And they had never really, when they were there the first time, they never fulfilled all of his commands and took over the land. But but that awaits and will be done. Anyway, it went into desolation, as was predicted in Deuteronomy 28, after their dispersion in A.D. 70 and sent out all over the world. Now, and quite a desolation it was. Now, Mark Twain, of the Tom Sawyer Mark Twains, has a description of his visit to Galilee in 1867. And I want to give you some excerpts from his book, Innocence Abroad. Quote, these unpopulated deserts, these rusty mounds of bareness that never, never, never do shake the glare from their harsh outlines, that melancholy ruin of Capernaum, this stupid village of Tiberia slumbering under six funereal palms, a desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of life and action. We reached Mount Tabor safely. We never saw a human being on the whole route. A desolate country whose soil is rich enough but is given over wholly to weeds. A silent, mournful expanse. Hardly a tree or shrub anywhere. Even the olive tree and the cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. And when Israel, when, when the Israelis that were coming back to their land were trying to buy land, which people there were selling them at exorbitant prices, they had trouble with yellow fever, there was malaria and all this. So this land had gone from being maybe the nicest piece of real estate on the surface of the earth to just being awful. Rabbi Menachem Cohen of Brooklyn in his book, Prophecies for the Error of Muslim Terror, a Torah Perspective on uh, World Events, states that there was an unprecedented and inexplicable drought uh, in Israel from 100 A.D. to the 20th century. This is based upon geological studies by the University of Wisconsin on stalagmites in a cave near Israel. Weather records, which started about 1800, confirm this with the heaviest rainfall occurring from 1948 to 1967. Isn't that interesting? About the day of the Six-Day War. Now, I want to read Ezekiel 36, 33 through 35. Ezekiel 36, 33 through 35. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. On the day I cleanse you from all your sins, I will resettle your towns and the ruins will be rebuilt. A desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass through it. They will say, this land that was laid waste has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were lying in ruins, desolate and destroyed, are now fortified and inhabited. 
Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. And I love this line. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. You can, now that's something you can take to the bank in this universe and beyond the universe. When God Almighty says, I have spoken and I will do it, he will do it. Now here's Isaiah 51.3. Isaiah 51.3. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of of the Lord, joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. And then, finally, this one, Isaiah 27, 6. Isaiah 27, 6. In days to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Fill all the world with fruit. Now, I had heard not too long ago that Israel now is the major supplier of Europe for fruits and vegetables. Okay? If you go online right now, Wikipedia article, the online encyclopedia entitled Agriculture in Israel, which I did this is about three, two to three weeks ago, quote, agriculture in Israel is a highly developed industry. Israel is a major exporter of fresh produce and a world leader in agricultural technologies, despite the fact that the geography of Israel is not naturally conducive to agriculture, mainly lack of water. Now, how about that? We have a 2,600-year-old prophecy, which he has been fulfilled to, to that extent. Now, the next thing I want to... Another fulfilled prophecy, or and it's an indication of things to come, what is happening here at end times, is the year 1948. Now, I think we were pretty much all here in 1948, right? I never thought much of 1948. No? Okay. Now, first of all, you, most of you probably like history, right? If you ask a group of people, so yeah, I like history. I remember that in high school, you know. See, I never cared much for history. I always felt kind of weird, you know, because I, I, maybe I thought somebody might be a bunch of baloney or something that was based on I wasn't sure. But anyway, so I never cared too much for history, but most people do. But this even got my attention. Now, since I'm interested in prophecy, I have to learn some history because I want to understand the times and, and the decrease. And I'm going to do this. We'll use a visual aid. Here we've got time going along, going along, going along, and then boom, as John Madden said, 1948. Now, I'm going to draw some vectors and put some adverbs on them. Yeah. Now, maybe this is like this. Okay, politically, economically, spiritually, and technologically. Technologically. <laughs> <laughs> Did I not spell anyway? Whatever. You, all right, so here we go. We've got 1948. Now, here's my premise. I'm going to give you some facts here. And I want you to see if you agree with the premise. Now, on May 14th, 1948, Israel was formed. And within 11 days, Harry Truman recognized them. If he hadn't, they might not have been. You know, and he did this over the Secretary of State, his Secretary of State, George Marshall. You remember the Marshall Plan for, for Europe? He said, don't do that. We've got another war coming up with Russia. We're going to need some oil. Arabs got the oil. Arabs don't like Israel. We start recognizing Israel. Arabs don't like us. We got no oil. We're going to lose to Russia. He was very adamant about that. Truman went ahead and did it. So I'm tired of sitting by watching these people get slaughtered, and we have a chance to stand by and do nothing to give any didn't. So good God bless Truman for that. But anyway, so he recognized it in 1948. Now, it's as though the devil knew. Now, we've already said the devil does not have the ability to predict the future, but he's incredibly smart, and he's got his ear to the ground, probably hears some things in heaven and elsewhere, what's going on. So he knew what was coming. He's already started laying the groundwork for his one-world government here, 
Okay, and the groundworks, probably you can break it down to four pillars. Now, one other thing, too, I want to tell you. He has his own triad. The devil's big sin is he wants to be God. So he, he, he sees the Holy Trinity, so he forms his own triad where he takes the part of God, the Antichrist, or the beast out of the sea, takes the part of uh, <clears throat> Jesus Christ, and the false religious leader, the beast out of the land, these are Revelation 13, takes the part of the Holy Spirit. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to point people toward Jesus Christ. Well, one of the ministries of this uh, false religious leader is to point people toward the Antichrist. In fact, we're told, he says, look, if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't worship the Antichrist, you're not going to be able to buy or sell or do anything like that. So he's got it. Okay, so that's the premise. I will give you some facts. I had never heard of this till about six or seven months ago when I saw a lesson on TV, Hal Lindsey, the Hal Lindsey Report, and I must say, I, now I've checked him over the years, he rarely makes a mistake, he's got a crack staff, apparently he does, some of his, I don't know who does all the research, but I fact-checked every one of these on Google before I, before I did this. Okay, so, <clears throat> I'm going to give you some facts, see what you think about that. <clears throat> now, after the United States recognized Israel, they began a period of overall prosperity and well-being unmatched in human history. That's the way Hal Lindsey put it. Americans began to live longer and better and at a level of comfort and freedom that far exceeded anything the world had ever seen. As my wife Pam points out, we did have racial discrimination. That's a sin against God and against man, but we got that straightened out over time. You're never going to totally get rid of it anymore. You're going to totally get rid of greed or anger or any other human sins, but at least the old earth forms are pretty much gone. Technological advances abounded. We had antibiotics. We weren't worried about infections. And someone without a college education could almost always find a job earning enough to support a family. You know? Try that today, even with a college education. In a lot of ways, it was a much better life. We all lived through that. In a lot of ways, it was a much better life. Now, I have to admit, this is the coolest thing I've ever owned. I mean, it really is. But in a way, it may bring some negatives, too. But aside from that, and uh, some of the medical advances and all, I'd rather probably live back in that time than today. But, that, but hey, we're in this. We're in this end times now, like it or not. And the upside is that there's a pretty good chance that all or most of us in this room may not have to die. We might be in the terminal generation. We might be caught up in the rapture and not have to go through physical death. So that's, and we're the first generation, I think, that can say that. Okay, now, what are some facts of this? Well, this one, we'll start out with one that's kind of minor. In 1948, Norbert Weiner defined cybernetics as a scientific study of control and communication in the animal and the machine. He got a patent for holography. You know what a hologram is? You can see these people projected by light and they talk and all this. Well, that might be what's being described in Revelation 13.5 where it says he, the false religious leader, a.k.a. the second beast, was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast, the Antichrist, so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Okay, so that that might be that rather than just having a an outright miracle by the devil in producing a talking statue. This might be what it was talking about. Ethnic unrest has increased since 1948. Okay, ethnos versus ethnos is the Greek in Matthew 24-7. You know, we talked about the Olivet Discord. That was prophesied. The Cold War began in 1948 with the Berlin blockade. Uh, now, militant Islam, a group that's, which, by the way, is not mentioned in the Bible, 
versus Israel is the supporters in the West, and it uh, poses the greatest threat to world peace. So ethnos versus ethnos is translated nation against nation, but actually probably has more the meaning people group or ideology against ideology. Now, after World War II, large countries held together by central colonial power crumbled. Now, freeing ethnic groups to war against each other as in the Arab Spring. You know, this Arab Spring was glommed onto by a lot of the Western leaders. Oh, isn't it wonderful? All these people yearning to be free, and they threw over this horrible dictator. Well, it turns out that it was a disaster. That's not what happened. When you throw over these horrible dictators, yeah, they're horrible, but they're sitting on a lot of thugs and a lot of groups that really want to fight. So after World War II, this was brought out. The United Nations was formed in 1945, and, and in 1948, there were 66 countries in the U.N., Okay. The very next year, 128 more were added. So it kind of tripled in one year. Okay. And indicating that this ethnos against ethnos, now there's more people groups, there's going to be more infight. Now, after World War One, Great Britain turned its back on Israel. Uh, they were given the job by the League of Nations of, is parceling out this homeland, dividing up the Middle East and giving, be sure Israel had a homeland. They kind of turned their back on them. They're trying to drop, drop the ball. They kowtowed more to the Arabs, maybe for oil. And there was an infamous white paper that ensured that hundreds of thousands of Jews were stranded in Nazi Germany and got killed. Okay. I remember Genesis 12:3 when God called Abraham and he says, whoever curses you, I will curse. Okay. Now it used to be said the sun never set on the British Empire. Well, today, it sets on the British Empire. All right? There's not much of the British Empire left. I, I, people that I've talked to that have been to London they say, man, they're in bad shapes over there. I know they're in economically and everything else. Now, is that a curse from God? Well, I don't know. I don't know. But that is interesting. Okay, South Korea adopted its own constitution, splitting off from the North in 1948. Mao took China in 1948 to 1949. Now, Hal Lindsey says he thinks there are more wars and civil wars going on today than at any time since 1948, <clears throat> and the leaders of Iran are Twelvers. Have you heard the term Twelvers? Well, see, in Islam, there's something called the Twelfth Iman. He is the Muslim Messiah. He's their counterpart of Jesus Christ. He's going to come. The Mahdi is his name. Only when Islam is engaged in a war for world domination will he come and set up an Islamic caliphate or Sharia law over the whole world, according to Islam's belief. Well, people who believe that are called Twelvers, or the Twelfth Imam. Uh, Ahmadinejad, the recent president, was a Twelver, and the Ayatollahs who run Iran right now are also Twelvers. Now, my point is this. You remember the Cold War. We were we had mad going for us, mutually uh, assured destruction, okay? That works unless you have a psychopath on the other side. Now, <clears throat> the Soviets were not psychopaths. They were they had some problems, of course, but they were not psychopaths. Ahmadinejad and these people, if they had a button, they get the nuclear weapon to destroy, they'd do it. And they'd say, fine, we'll die and millions die because this is going to bring on war, okay? So we've got that going on. This is kind of a new new twist to nation versus nation. Now, earthquakes. This is one of the signs of the end times. If you look carefully at the Olivet Discourse, Jesus didn't say there'd be more earthquakes. He just said there'd be earthquakes. You can say, well, there have been earthquakes ever since the world was formed. <clears throat> Probably so. But maybe he was referring to we'd know more about them, or maybe he was referring to the fact that they'd be more severe. Remember, he used the term birth pangs right after describing the earthquake, and birth pangs get more severe. Maybe that's what he's meaning. Now, USGS.gov is a government website. 
uh, U.S. Geological Survey. It's their job to keep up with earthquakes. And it's almost like they kind of have it in for evangelical Christians. They On that website, they, the wording, I've noticed this, and I heard somebody else that was a guest on Hal Lindsey say, they almost put the website up to tell the evangelical Christians, no, there's not any more earthquakes. There's not any more earthquakes. Okay. But I just got, and maybe it's just a reporting phenomenon, you know. However, there are definitely more severe earthquakes. A nine on the Richter scale and higher, those usually took, occurred about every 20 years. Now, the USGS government update, up, uh, I'm sorry, website updated April 11th, 2012. It gives, uh, 13, the last 13 largest earthquakes since 1900. They're all over eight and a half on the Richter scale. That's getting up there. Now, of that 13, 12 have occurred since 1948. Now, 1948 is kind of halfway between 1900 and 2013. So you'd expect six or seven, right? Half of 13. You get 12. That's way too many. And even on the the website, I noticed they were kind of spinning this. Now, the mathematicians say you can't have these little chaotic aberrations and all this stuff, not mentioning anything about uh, about biblical prophecy or anything. But anyway, so that's interesting. Chloromycin and oromycin were introduced, what year do you think? 1948. At the beginning of this so-called possibly blessed period where now we... Took, got rid of all infections. Well, I will tell you as a physician, I keep up with this literature. I see it in my practice somewhat too. This, we're at a scary point. There's, there's some, I know it's Drudge Report, which I follow regularly, uh, had some medical, uh, links in the UK. I mean, they say we're at an inflection point. We're about to get back to the point where you go into the hospital to have some orthopedic nuts and bolts replaced or something, you're liable to die of an infection. I mean, we're getting some of these things up here that are resistant due to indiscriminate use of antibiotics and other things. All right. But anyway, 1948, we had that blessed period. Now, here's something that I think that the, the media is sitting on. You heard about this earthquake in Tohoku, Japan, one of the largest on record, magnitude 9.0 in March of 2011. Then it had an aftershock in Fukushima that did damage to that nuclear facility in, in April. Of, uh, it, magnitude 7.2 was the aftershock. Now, somebody has estimated, I read recently, that the radiation released by that is more than all the radiation that's ever been released by all the atomic testing that's ever been done. And there's a cloud of this stuff that's coming over, and apparently it's starting to, to get the West Coast, starting to come down through California. Uh, seals are getting sick in Alaska. I've seen some news reports where somebody buys an $80 Geiger counter and goes out. It, this was at Half Moon Bay, California, and said, whoa, we've got four times the, the recommended background radiation here at this point. So some people, so-called experts, yeah, but that's an $80 one. So some station bought an $800 and, 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 you know, it's kind of the same thing. This is still quite a few times. Now, see, you know how folks in California are. The slightest, the latest little health claim. If they thought they were just getting ready to have a wave of radiation, I mean, man, this is, this is, this, this would be huge for them. Also, they're having the worst drought in their history. You say, is California finally being judged by God? There again, I don't know. I don't know. But, I mean, you know, we will, we will, we'll throw that out. But anyway, you say, well, what does that have to do with 1948? Well, here's why. The world's first nuclear plant was completed in Russia in 1948. No, it was 1954, but it was started sometime about in that point. And I'll throw this out, too. It might make you feel a little bit. GE made the reactor on that Fukushima plant. It's called their Mark 1. Well, one of their employees 
retired. He, he, he retired. He decided to leave the company because he said, this is unsafe. And I hate to tell you, but about 20 of the reactors in this country have that same Mark I. has a design defect. It's now considered a defect where they store their used rods too high in the structure or something. I don't know. So that's just something to make you feel a little better. <laughs> okay, television, which defines reality for many people, you know, began to enter the American mainstream in 1948, and today broadcasts a largely biblical uplifting agenda? No. No, it's pretty much satanic. I mean, it really is. I mean, Satan has control. He's been given control temporarily, and he's got it. And believe you me, try to find something I, you know, I like movies and things, and I, I, you know, I like to see them and get the nice sound and do all this stuff. It is, it's hard to find something today that you can look at. I have to find some of the older movies, things like that. Okay. Now, this is good. The baby boom generation, you've heard of them, right? The old, if it feels good, do it crowd. Well, when do you think that started? About 1948, because I'm about three years old, so it's about 1948. Okay. Now, you talk about an unregenerate mankind. You know, Tom Brokaw wrote a book, The Greatest Generation, you know, and mainly my parents' generation, perhaps some of your parents' generation, too. And they probably deserve that title. That was a fantastic group. Saved the world from Hitler and all this stuff. He came on back, didn't say anything much about it. No big deal, you know. Now we got the baby boomer generation. Now, if I were writing the book, I would, instead of the greatest generation, it would be the... Mm, Generation, I would think of some as it would not be greatest. Let's put it that way. That, that group has just been the me group, whatever. All right, that's one. Now, global communications capability is necessary for the fulfillment of many biblical prophecies, such as the two witnesses. God has two witnesses in Revelation 11.3 that the Antichrist finally kills. Their bodies are displayed for three and a half days, and then they're taken up to heaven. Now, how can you do that? As I say, Martin Luther looking at that, saying, and the Bible says that people of every nation saw them. Well, how could that happen? Well, you know how it could happen now. In fact, I'd be surprised if their bodies weren't on there 24-7. They'd probably have a body cam down there, you know, with the bodies lying on the street, the way we, we, we have it, it bleeds, it leads mentality. Now, hearing about earthquakes and other happening, that requires a global communications capability in Matthew 24. And finally, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is a good thing, of course, Matthew 24, 14. That would require global communications. So making all of this possible is the transistor, which is the basis of computer technology, and it was introduced in 1948, same year as the UNIVAC. Remember that thing that had didn't have anywhere near the computing capacity of this little thing, and it took several rooms, you know, and water-cooled on the UNIVAC computer. Gosh, that just wasn't that long ago. I mean, it just really wasn't. And the computer age was born, and it was off and running. <clears throat> Now, a word about bits and bytes. This is interesting. A bit, a bit is just a zero or a one. It's digital. It's either zero or it's one. That's the basis of all computer technology. A byte is eight bits. Okay. A million bytes is uh, a megabyte, and it would cover about 873 pages this size, eight and a half by 11. You know, you go into Walmart to buy you some copy paper, and you get 500 sheets about that thick. Well, 873 Maybe about that thick. So like three and a half pages. Okay, now that's a megabyte. Gigabyte is a billion bytes. Terabyte is a trillion bytes. Then you're all the way up to, and this has such a weird name, a yottabyte. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, I guess. If a megabyte is that, how high is a stack of a yottabyte? First, let me tell you this yottabyte. 
The NSA, you know the NSA. Uh, probably, in fact, they're listening now, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. you, know, you know them. Okay, well, they're interested in storing all the uh, data, everything that they can. Anyway, they're boasting that they can now store a Yottabyte in their million-square-foot Utah facility that's about to come online. They thank you. Okay, so, <clears throat> for megabytes this tall, how tall do you think a Yottabyte is? From here to the moon. Clear to the moon. Here to the moon. Okay. All right, now let me tell you. The nearest star is Proxima Centauri, 4.24 light years. So don't tell me it's not. No, it's not for It's not as far as the nearest star. It's only 2.48 light years. 2.48 light years, as far as light can go in a year. And that's what they're going to be storing for us here. Okay, now this brings me back to one of the most magnificent, as a writer, magnificent, wonderful understatements in the whole Bible. When uh, the, the angel, probably Gabriel, tells Daniel, Daniel saw a vision, he took it real hard, told him to, to uh, in essence, take it easy, seal up, don't worry about it, keep it, keep the prophecy intact, until the end days. Well, I'd say we're in the end days, and I hope this is right, until the end days. When? Two things. Uh, people will go to and fro. Well... <laughs> What are people doing? I mean, they, they were constantly moving everywhere. People going to and fro. Remember back then, they had, they didn't even have an ox cart much, maybe just a donkey to ride on or something like that. People going to and fro. And here's the one that gets me. Knowledge will increase. Woo! Has knowledge increased? I guess so. If it takes, uh, 2.24 light years to store it. What a wonderful prophecy in such a few little words. And, you know, he, Daniel couldn't get, begin to comprehend that. I can't even comprehend it too much, particularly. So he just, he told him what he could understand. Okay, now, the United Nations approved the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, GATT, eventually replaced by the World Trade Organization, WTO, in 1947. At about the same time, the IMF, 1945, and the World Bank, 1944, were created. Founded in 1945, the United Nations adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in 1948, by which it claims a global moral authority. They're claiming that they should just, in essence, run the world. And there's a lot of people who think they should. You know, not this crummy USA, you know, we called all these problems and all everything. We, we need to have the United Nations running the world. But isn't that interesting? And that would be a nice infrastructure for the Antichrist to come in and take over. Okay? Now, the Benelux Treaty, it's called that because Belgium, Netherlands, and Luxembourg were the signatories to it. Uh, it went into effect in 1948, and it, it was a foundation for today's European Union, a partial reassembly of the old Roman Empire. Okay, And they're desperately looking for a president of the European Union, someone described as having unprecedented powers. Now, who do you think that could possibly be? Well, it could be the Antichrist. Then finally, the World Council of Churches was founded in Amsterdam in 1948, ostensibly for the glory of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, that's fine. We can all be... However, they kind of departed from that. They've gotten to where it seems like they want a kinder, gentler, all-inclusive world religion where it doesn't really make any difference what God you want to worship or maybe if you want to worship any God at all, just as long as you feel self-actualized and you, you don't want to attack anybody and uh, and you feel uh, good about yourself, okay? Now, all these warm, fuzzy feelings extend to everybody except evangelical Christians, so they don't want you telling people about Jesus Christ because that might offend them, and to Jews, okay? They have strongly anti-Israel. Uh, they are strongly, and one of the units, Palestine-Israel Ecumenical, Ecumenical Forum, advocates an end to the illegal occupation of Palestine and a just peace for all in Palestine and Israel. Now, I would like to remind them again of Genesis 12.3. I will bless those who bless you and 
curse those who curse you. Now, the main point is here that it looks to me like 1948. Hal Lindsey calls it the hinge of history. That's really pretty amazing what we just said here, right? I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, it's just to me. I think that's really amazing. Looks like Satan is doing his underpinnings here for this one world government. Now, a word about one world government, is it bad? Not necessarily, because God's going to have a one world government in the millennial kingdom. It depends on who's doing the government. Okay? Now, I want to get to what I think is the most remarkable prophecy in the Bible. It's ninth chapter of Daniel, Daniel 77. So I'm going to read this for you. Daniel was uh, <coughs> Israeli or Israel nobility. He was captured, taken to Babylon. He was in captivity. He was worried one day about how long he's going to, how long we're going to be here making intercessory prayer from his people and God. And Gabriel came to talk to him, said, you've found favor with God. All right, now this is Daniel 9, 24, let's say, yeah, 24 through 27. 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, this, the Hebrew word is Shavuot, it's a period of seven years, 77, 490 years. Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be, it doesn't say Jesus in the Old Testament, of course, we know that, that's my right. There will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens, or a total of sixty-nine sevens. We don't know exactly what the seven sevens is, maybe it's a period of consecration of the temple or something when they got back out of captivity. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off, that is executed, crucified, we now know, and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come, now the ruler who came was uh, Titus in 70 AD, the Roman, and it says the people of the ruler who will come, that would be the Gentiles, maybe Rome, will destroy the city and the sanctuary, which they did in 70 AD. The end will come like a flood, war will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many. That We're talking about the Antichrist now, the ruler who will come. He will confirm a covenant with many, meaning Israel, for one seven. Remember the missing seven. See, there were 69 on the other seven. That's why we get the seven-year tribulation period. See, there's seven years still on this clock. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. That's that abomination that causes desolation. Now, you could read more detail about this tribulation period over here. Until the end the decree is poured out on him. Now, Daniel is so unbelievably detailed that a lot of liberal theologians that don't believe in prophecy and probably don't even believe in God either say that's forgery. Well, first of all, why would anybody forge it? Some pre-Christian apologist, you know, years ago. But they can't go past about 150 B.C. And, and Daniel, I believe, and most all conservative scholars believe, was written 530 B.C. But even the most liberal scholars say that Daniel had to be present by 150 B.C. on a lot of lines of evidence, including carbon dating, which strongly supports that. So here's why I called this the most remarkable prophecy in the Bible. There was, <clears throat> Sir Robert Anderson wrote a book called The Coming Prince. He was a retired Scotland Yard detective, 1881. And he did the math and found out, did it down to days, leap years, and all that, found out that this period, which is a hundred and... 77,880 days, I believe, what comes out to exactly to Christ's triumphal entry, because we know the date of that proclamation to go back and start rebuilding when they were allowed to go back, to go back and start rebuilding uh, 
Jerusalem, and it works out to exactly that time, the exact day. Other people have done that math, too, and have gotten that. The, the, the prophecy is really right on the money. Now, what are the chances of that happening? It'd be like you and me looking ahead 180 years, 140, 150 B.C. plus 30 for the, for the length of Christ's ministry, 180 years, predicting that someone like Jesus Christ was going to exist and that he would be executed and hitting it right on now. If you said that sounds like, yeah, that's just that could happen, okay. To me, it's about like God writing his name in the sunset. I exist and Jesus Christ is my son. So I think that's just the most fabulous uh, uh, prophecy in the Bible. Now, before going over a little, I'm going to spend what time I have left. We've got it wrapped up here. Anytime I teach, I feel like I need to touch on the plan of salvation. Now, you folks have good basic Bible teaching, and the chances are every single one of you is saved. If we have the rapture, you're going to go. If your heart stops beating, you're going to go. But just in case there's somebody new to the church, new to the class, <laughs> wandered into the class, I want to give the plan of salvation briefly. Everybody has a sin problem, Romans 3.23. Okay, we can't have a relationship with God with that sin problem. Well, plan A is, oh, well, I'll just stop sinning. Okay, well, that's plan A. Lots of luck with that. James 2.10 says if you miss one teeny little bit of the Mosaic Law, it's the same as you've missed all of it. And God doesn't grade on the curve. So plan A doesn't work. We need plan B. What is plan B? God killed his son, and his son graciously agreed to be killed to take the hit for our sins for us. That's plan B. Okay? So how is one then then saved? How does one come in? Well, first you have to have the mindset that, yes, I am a sinner. I have to have, I can't make it on my own. Most people don't get to that point. They think they're okay. Second, you have to accept this gift of Christ already dying in your place, taking the hit for you, as a free gift. You cannot earn it. As, as, uh, you cannot earn that. One bit can't earn a nanosecond of salvation. And when you do that, boom, you're saved. And a wonderful thing happens. First of all, you say the fire escaped from hell. Yes, that's wonderful. The older we get, the more wonderful that is. But God actually comes to live within you, and your life becomes supernatural. Now, I want to show you something. First Thessalonians 5.23 and elsewhere, Paul talks about spirit, soul, and body. Okay? The Greek, and I did this because I want to find out what was in his mind. What is the difference between spirit and soul? Well, the Greek for soul is P, oh, I already messed that up, P-S-Y-C-H-E, suje. The group, the Greek for spirit is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. Now, according to my Greek lexicon, and according to most conservative scholars, in fact, most scholars, the difference between the two is that the spirit is that part of the soul which allows you to communicate with God, and it's broken in every one of us. It doesn't work. First uh, Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man can't understand spiritual matters because his spirit is not at work. It's like a birth defect, which we all have. But when you are saved and you accept Christ, woo, the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5, regenerates and, uh, and rewires your spirit so it works. And now you can communicate with God. So that is a wonderful thing that happens there. Your life is supernatural. Now, I just wanted to put that in there. How does that have anything to do with prophecy? Well, very simply. The true church of Jesus Christ is everyone who has has made this acceptance, and it's something we each have to do personally. The Pope in Rome can't do it for us. Uh, Aunt Martha can't do it for us. She'd like to. Billy Graham can't do it for us. We each have to personally accept this gift. That, then, the true church of Jesus Christ is everyone all over the world who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and that's the group that's going to be lifted out in the rapture. Okay, and you can read about that here. Um, now... 
I'm sorry I didn't have I didn't have quite enough time, but it's not that bad. The only other thing I wanted to cover was the timeline. You know, I thought about doing a chart. You know, where are we now? What's coming next? And this, but I didn't do it in chart form. Here it is on page two, the timeline, and we are now in the interval number one, the interval between the crucifixion and the rapture. Okay, uh, the Antichrist is going to sign. A treaty with Israel to start that to start the tribulation period. When that happens, we should be gone because I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture position. There's some reasons given for that in the book. We should be gone then. Okay, uh, and that's believe me, you don't want to be anywhere near here. It's a divine, a supernatural uh, crossfire. The devil's always tried to get all of God's people, and now God is actually going after the devil's people. His his patience is finally over, and he pours out his wrath on unregenerate mankind. And believe you me, it's uh, you don't want to be anywhere near uh, the planet Earth. It says that if that were allowed to continue, be to- everything would be destroyed. Jesus comes at the end of the tribulation period. He defeats the Antichrist, sets up his millennial kingdom for the last thousand years. Satan is bound for a thousand years. He's released again at the end, and... There's another revolt, and he has to be defeated again. This is probably just to show that even with Satan bound, we still have enough of a sin nature that we're, we're going to rebel against God. Great white throne judgment, you don't want to be resurrected for that. That's for all individuals. That's at the end of the thousand-year period. And then uh, the eternal state. And we don't know very much about the eternal state, but it'll be probably like an extension of a millennium. So this is way too much to try to cover, but I hope what I've done is to just show you these it's happening before our eyes if you just know your prophecy I mean this is just it's just amazing what's going on here and you just don't hear much about this so I hope you'll be inspired to sit down with a cup of coffee and read this and then go into it further with your Bible thank you very much for inviting me I've enjoyed this very much and God bless every single one of you Thank you very much, Dr. Bob. Very good, very good. <clears throat> In closing, this is a pretty uh, <clears throat> pretty good thought for the day after what we've heard here. All I have seen teaches me to trust the Creator for all I have not seen. And that's Ralph Waldo Emerson's statement. So that's very good. Thanks a lot, and we'll see everybody next week. Thank you. Thank you.